Hey, it's not quite the DeLorean, but we're going back in time with a new podcast feed full of all my favorite interviews in the history of the Bill Simmons podcast. We're coming up on seven years now. I've had an unbelievable collection of athletes, celebrities, showrunners, directors, Matt Damon, Denzel Washington, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, Shirley Theron, Tom Hanks, Bill Burr, Kevin Durant, Peyton Manning, The Undertaker, Eddie Vedder, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he actually came on. Dave Grohl, Quavo, Barack Obama. I mean, what else can I tell you? I've had Al Pacino with Barry Levinson. I've had people like Steph Curry, Jason Bateman, John C. Riley, Jonah Hill. I could just, I could keep going and going. But wait, there's more. Whether it's your first time or you're planning on revisiting some of your favorites, make sure you head to BillSimmonsInterviews.TheRinger.com for the entire archive. You can sort by genre, year, and more to easily navigate all your favorite people. Follow the Bill Simmons podcast, The Interviews, on Spotify now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Friday edition, New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Johnson-Stremski. Hope everybody enjoyed their week. I am actually stunned that my voice has held up the way it has over the last 24 hours between the Chili Peppers last night, getting all sorts of aggravated watching the baseball tonight. Um, I'm glad that my voice has held up, and I'm fired up. we got a lot to get to. We're starting first with the Mets. because. It's very difficult for me to roast the team with the way they've played all year. They're still in a really good spot within the National League East. However, they went into this four-game series with the Braves with a chance to officially bury the Atlanta Braves for good in this division. They did not do that. You lose Monday. You lose Tuesday, you lose Carrasco, you lose Taiwan Walker. But when the Mets win on Wednesday, 
with Scherzer on the mound and Beatty in his first game, his first at bat, he goes in homers and you end up winning that game the way that you do on Wednesday. I know a lot of Mets fans were of the mindset, even though the betting line did not tell you so, that Thursday, win three out of four, boom, or split the series and do exactly what you needed to do with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. DeGrom was pretty good, but he was not peak DeGrom. And you could see that early. Made a couple of mistakes, made the mistake to Swanson. He ends up roping one, fall behind two to nothing. Jake, of course, hangs in, doesn't implode. He's the best pitcher in baseball. That's not his MO. That's why he's going to get paid a gazillion dollars next year. When he pitches, he dominates for the most part. Well, 2 nothing game. Canna hits the home run to tie it. The Mets have won this sort of game all year. Canna hits the big home run. Mets are going to find a way, yada, yada, yada. Except for the fact that tonight doesn't happen. And it didn't happen because of little intangible type plays that went against the Mets. I don't know what Nimmo was doing on that play in center field. I know he's in no doubles there, but when there is a runner on first base who is not exactly fleet of foot, let's not make Grissom out to be Otis Nixon in his prime. Let's not make him out to be Scott Podsednik, okay? He was huffing and puffing around those bases. For Nimmo to not get to that ball and for that run to score, that's bad outfield defense. There's no other way around it. It's bad outfield defense. Costly. Now, you could get on Lugo. He ends up giving up the hit. Sure. But that's not a ball that should be a go-ahead RBI double. I'm sorry. It's just not. Whatever it was. Then you get to the play in the ninth inning. And this one, to me, was far more bad luck from a Mets perspective. Lindor leads off the inning with a single. Then he clearly has the base stolen. Alonzo, hey, I can't fault him. He's looking to be aggressive. If he's got a chance to go and hit a home run and win you the game, you want Pete to do exactly that. But he swings at a pitch and hits it a mile in the air. The problem is Lindor is already basically sliding headfirst into second base. He's got to get up. He's got to run back because he could be in a position where he's doubled off. Tries to get back. Ball drops in. Boom. Easy force out. Change the entire complexion of the inning. But those two plays right there, combined with the Mets doing very little on offense, that ended up being the difference in the game. So the Mets now lose three out of four to Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't answer for the four out of five. They lost that at City Field. But it does show you the Braves are a team that's going to be hurt from. I think the Mets are better. I think the Mets having the edge with one, two, and three in their rotation, it is gigantic with DeGrom and with Scherzer and with Bassett. But the Braves have a hell of a team. They got a really good young core. They have been sparked that much more by guys like Harris and Grissom. They're really good. They're really, really good. And this series showed me they're going to hang around this division. I think the Mets will win it. I ultimately think the Mets will pull away. But the Mets now are in a position where over the next two to two and a half weeks, they could be in a little bit of trouble. Why do I say that? They got the Phillies. They got my really New York Yankees. They got the Dodgers coming up on the schedule. They're pitching outside of the big three, searching for answers. Now Peterson's got to step in. Now Trevor Williams has got to step in. They got to play a couple of games in Philadelphia. The Phillies, they score runs. They hit in their ballpark. And the Braves, you notice when they don't play the Mets, they cruise. Now they have a tough series coming up. They got the Houston Astros over the course of the weekend. 
But that's what you don't like about this series. It could have been signed, sealed, delivered, Braves, they're nothing to worry about. Now they're still kind of a thorn in your side. Not ideal. And you're big fans of the Houston Astros over the next couple of days. Now, so much for the Yankees getting back on track after that win Wednesday night. I, I mean, I came home, by the way, in the perfect amount of time. I came home. I see Chapman give up the three runs in the top half of the inning. I'm like, here we go again. Boone sending up Hicks like an absolute buffoon. One of the dumbest managerial decisions you're ever going to see. I, I don't know what he was smoking and drinking watching that. I mean, how, how dumb can you be to send up Aaron Hicks there for IKF? Not that IKF is Derek Jeter, but my goodness. Read the room a little bit, Aaron. You're the guy who benched him for goodness sakes. Now he's sending him up with the game on the line? Idiotic. Absolutely idiotic. Bad IQ from Glaber across the board. Like, very, very frustrating. Then they go and win that game the way that they did. Donaldson hits the walk-off grand slam, and you're like, this got to be the thing that gets this Yankee team going, right? This has to be the spark that gets this team back on track. Not to be. Because momentum, folks, is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. And for the second time in three starts, Frankie Montez was absolutely abominable. You want to talk about a guy who did not give you any chance to go and win the ballgame? Montez gave you absolutely no chance to win the ballgame. He has that horrific inning where he gives up five runs. Now, was it a Yankee Stadium cheap beat of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? It was, but nobody wants to hear about that. See, it's amazing. Never hear about the cheap home runs that go against the Yankees. Never. No, 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 no. Anytime a Yankee hits one down a short porch, oh, Williams four, Little League home run, yada, yada, yada. But when somebody else does it, like Vasquez in the playoffs for the Red Sox, I don't hear a damn peep. That bothers me. But that doesn't excuse Montez. He stunk up the joint tonight. And I'm worried. I don't want to hear about his shoulder. I don't want to hear about, oh, you know, they're building him up. Nonsense. He's got to be better than this. Because the guy they could have traded for, Luis Castillo, has been lights out for the Seattle Mariners. And the pitcher the Yankees traded away in Jordan Montgomery has been great since he went to the St. Louis Cardinals. So Frankie Montez is not holding up his end of the bargain. Not good. And when you come over from the Oakland A's, and you consider the track record the Yankees have in dealing with Oakland, specifically Sonny Gray from a couple of years ago, I know there are a lot of Yankee fans saying, please, I hope Montez is not the second coming of Sonny Gray. Let's hope that's not the case. I'm not rushing to that conclusion after three starts, but ugly stuff. And the lineup does not get a pass tonight either. Jose Barrios has stunk. The Yankees usually eat his lunch. He, he mowed the Yankees outside of Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo's the only guy good at bats tonight. Better attend. He's striking out three times. Judge looks the worst he has looked all year. He's clearly pressing. He's clearly trying to take on the burden of this lineup, not doing the job and not scoring runs. But what you have is the Yankees continue to be in this monster funk. And for the first time all year, they're not on pace. They're not set to go and win north of 100 games, which is insane because basically from the middle of April on, they're on pace to win 100-plus games. That's how bad they have been since early July. It always seems to be something. And they're getting stand back. They need them. They absolutely need them. Lineup is not the same without them. But home's on the IL. I still have questions about Chapman when it matters the most in a big-time situation, how much you can count on him. Montaz is a question. The lineup is a question. Then I got to hear the manager basically pounding his chest over the idea that some fans were chanting to fire him last night 
when he managed the game horrifically. Aaron, maybe read the room a little bit. And, and the, the bouquets, by the way, that were being thrown out there from so many different New York media members were embarrassing. They were embarrassing. You know what? Great. We're all proud people. We all want to succeed in our craft. But when things are going bad, don't double down and say, yeah, I'm going to stand there a little extra proud. No, how about you get your team to pick it up and tell them to get their head out of their damn ass, for goodness sakes. Okay, I don't want to hear about you and the pride police. Spare me that bullshit. Because that's what it sounds like. Absolute bullshit. And I got people, not, not Yankee fans, but more media members, like eating it up. Eating it up. Playing like crap and the manager's taking bows. Please, spare me. Spare me. And he's not the only reason the Yankees are losing right now. I know I'm being hard on Aaron Boone. I get that. But he's not, he's not the only reason. The lineup's not as good. The pitching is regressed. The bull, I'm like, I, I understand. But that just did not sit well with me. I'm not going to lie. And if it sat well with you, uh, more power to you. More power to you. Didn't sit well with me. So the Yankees continue to stink. Hopefully they could turn it around this Toronto series. Because guess what? It's eight games in the loss column. You have a bad weekend. All of a sudden that turns into six or five in the loss column. Could get a little hairy seeing Scherzer and DeGrom Monday and Tuesday at Yankee Stadium. I don't want a hairy month of September from a Yankee perspective. I don't need it. I don't need the aggravation. I don't need the stress. But right now, this team looks nowhere close to being a championship caliber team. The team of April, May, and June is done. The biggest question is going to be, can they rediscover that mojo at some point in September going into October? If this is the team they're running out in the postseason, they're getting bounced, and they're getting bounced in the first round. But a lot can change between now and the start of the year. Now, one football note. Before we do... A couple of voicemails out of the gate. And then we're going to do half of our New York top 15 list. And if you're wondering if there's a New York football player on the list, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to see if one cracked the code. The list is already looking drastically different than what we had last year. Drastically, drastically different. But, hey, some new faces, some uh, new pieces, some emergences. You know, things change around here. Things change around here. Don't go nuts over the idea that Tyrod Taylor is taking first-team snaps. The coaching staff wants to make sure he's ready to go if there's an injury to a quarterback who's missed a lot of time over the last couple of years. It is wise. It is practical. It is prudent on so many different levels, on so many different fronts for the Giants to make sure, hey, guess what? First team, Tyrod Taylor, let's see what he looks like with the first team if this needs to be the case. But so many have, like, Rush to judgment saying, oh, this is this the coaching staff telling you, oh, Daniel Jones, not the starter. This is this is a clear sign that, that Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter at some point this year. Maybe he is. Because Daniel Jones missed a lot of time in the last couple of years. He's got to show he can stay healthy and be productive. He knows there's a lot at stake for this coming season. But like the idea that like some out there, not all, but some are trying to like drum up a little bit of a quarterback controversy with the Giants, to me. That is a whole lot to do about nothing. Whole lot to do about nothing. And I, I, we finally got some clarity on Deshaun Watson's perspective. I mean, uh, I don't know why they couldn't come to that conclusion in the first place, but then again, you want to talk about opening up Pandora's box. That is the definition of open up Pandora's box. So good, good luck trying to figure it out between the NFL and what took place over the last year plus. Weird, weird, weird situation, but much better outcome, I think. And not a good outcome if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns. Sorry, Larry, but you know what? 
Sometimes karma. You know what they say, buddy. You know what they say. All right. Voicemails early. Let's get them out of the gate quick. Quickies. All right, Steph. Let's hear them. JJ, it's Jay from Village Savard. Hope you're well, buddy. Can't wait to hit the links with you. Silver Lake. Just got engaged this last, last weekend. Feeling high. Riding the high. Watch my boy Brett Batty hit a two-run home run. What do you think about these Metsies, man? Can you get a shot? All right, man. Take it easy. Congrats on the 95 last week in Silver Lake. We'll talk soon. Later. I appreciate it, pal. First of all, congratulations on your engagement. That's big moves. Uh, my prayers to you in trying to plan a wedding. It's an absolute nightmare. So, uh, you know, may- maybe you'll have it a little easier to me. Planning a wedding is an absolute shit show. I'll just throw it out there. It's, 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 uh, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I, 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 I wouldn't wish it on anyone. That's all I'm going to say. And hopefully it's only something I'm doing once. Uh, let's, let's pray to the heavens that it's something I'm only doing once, please. Now that we got that out of the way. Beatty was cool the other day. Homer's in his first at bat. The question with him is not his offense. The question is going to be, can he pick it at third base? Made a nice play in Thursday's game, but there have been a lot of comparisons to Alec Baum. And you know his deal in Philadelphia. He's a brutal defensive third baseman. So I need to see more of Beatty for me to feel comfortable saying, playoff time, there's somebody I want to run out there. But the Mets miss Guillaume. They really miss Guillaume because of what he provides at the plate, but more importantly, what he provides on defense. The guy is an absolute vacuum. At third, at second, at short, whatever the hell you play him. One of the more unsung heroes for the 2022 New York Mets and not having Louis G there, it hurt in this Atlanta series. Really hurt. All right, one more. Let's hear it. Hey, JJ, Sean's Long Island. Thanks for taking the call, man. I know it's been a while. Uh, there's a few things. First off, I hope your friend Fessa Bush on the Mets this is going to be a full four-game sweep. I know you said they're going to go down to bury the Braves. You couldn't believe they were dogs the first game. And now, forget winning the games. I'm just trying to get a starter out healthy, you know, especially Scherzer and DeGrom. So hopefully, it wasn't too bad on that one. I don't think it was your intent, but uh, so far, not so good for them. As far as the top 15 New York athletes, I'm hoping my beloved Islanders got Ilya Sorokin on the list. Can't really see any other candidates for that, but hoping Sorokin sneaks on. But for next year, J.J., put it in. Take it to the bank. Carl Lawson will be on the list next year. I feel like with the rookie coming in, improved defense, and a healthy Carl Lawson, he will certainly be on that list next year. Don't forget it. And uh, third off, the Great Cal Harbor 10K race is on Eastern Long Island mid-September. Hope you can make it, man. It'll probably be like a joke for you with your half marathons and all. But uh, really fun race, really competitive race, and uh, you can make it out there. All right, JJ, you take care, man. Later. So I got to be honest. I've not been running a ton, Sean, in the heat. I ran the other day around four. I've been getting like one run a week, a couple of Pelotons a week. It's been too damn hot. Too damn hot, man. So maybe a 10K is in my future. And I was not trying to put the mush on the Mets. I could promise you that. I was not. I thought they'd play well in this Atlanta series. I thought minimum they'd split. I mean, they had Scherzer and DeGrom lined up. They split those two games, and they couldn't win on Monday or Tuesday. Good for the Braves. The Braves showed a pulse. The Braves showed you they're going to be a pain in the ass in the month of September. I still think the Mets are better, but it behooves the Mets now. Go play some good baseball. Get the bats going. You know, they ain't taking the subway series lightly. I mean, the good news for the Yankees is they can't hit anybody. So what's the difference? The ground shares, they can't hit anybody anyway. Maybe one of those games will wake up the bats, for goodness sakes. Okay. We got half the list for you today. We'll do the second half of the list on Sunday. I'm excited for this. The 2022 edition 
of the New York top 15. And if there's going to be a football player on this list, I can guarantee you this. It ain't going to be in the top half of the top 15. Have you seen the state of New York football over the last couple of years, especially in 2021? Come on now. So did a football player make the cut? And I am going to give you a little tease. There was a certain fan base that was very upset with me when this list came out a year ago. And I can guarantee you this. That fan base is not going to be as angry with me this time around. Think about that for a minute. Think about that. All right. Top 15 list. First half. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com. All right, folks. The first half of the New York, New York top 15 for 2022. I'm going to give you 15 through 8 tonight. We'll do 7 to 1 on Sunday. And if there are some issues, concerns, complaints, you guys know the deal. 917-382-1151. Get the voicemails in for Sunday on the New York Top 15. The Yankees and the Jays, the Mets and the Phillies. And oh, by the way, the Subway Series that's coming up this weekend. And we will be at Billy's on Monday before the game. Come hang, have a drink or two. We're going to do a Spotify Live from there. It's going to be a rocking time into the game. And then Tuesday we'll be live after the game. We'll post that as a pod and away we go. All right, Steph. Number 15. Number 15. All right. We're starting with a New Jersey Devil. Something we didn't do a year ago. The Islanders are off this list. Down year for them. I'm giving the youngster Jack Hughes some praise. 26 goals, 30 assists. I think he's about to really ascend. It's long overdue. This is a guy who was the number one overall pick. And I wanted to show a little diversity amongst the New York teams. Jack Hughes, you have made the cut. New Jersey Devils, you have made the cut. You're number 15 on the list. Number 14. Number 14 is the only member of the New York Knickerbockers on this list. And remember how high Julius Randle was a year ago? He's out of here. Give me a break. There was no way we were putting Julius Randle on the list with the embarrassment of a season he had a year ago. But at number 14, it's R.J. Barrett. And you guys know my feelings on R.J. Barrett. He is a hard worker. He is an ascending player. He has the sort of attitude and the sort of mentality that I am looking for out of a lot more of the New York Knickerbockers. And you love the fact that he's gotten better and better and better in each of his three years in the NBA. And I think we're at a point where come next year, we're talking about R.J. Barrett as an all-star. That's the goal for him. He comes in at number 14. Now, number 13. Number 13. So, number 13 saw his ranking come down quite a bit. And I have to be honest. I thought long and hard about leaving this guy off the list 
all together with the mockery and the embarrassment and the absolute disgrace of a season he had for the Brooklyn Nets. But when he played, he was spectacular. And I have to honor that. And I have to reward that. Kyrie Irving, who last year was an ascending member of this list, you know, you, you talked about those net guys. They were they were right up there. I'm not looking at this as a lifetime achievement award. That's not the way this goes. And when you basically miss two-thirds of the year because of all the vaccine nonsense, and then your team gets bounced in the first round, sorry, your ranking's taking a hit. I'm still putting you there, but you're tarnished, Kyrie, at unlucky number 13. Number 12. Number 12. So we got three baseball players in a row. And I have to be honest with our next candidate. He would be even higher on the list if we weren't sandwiching 2021 into 2022. But because we are, Francisco Lindor is number 12 on the list. And I think Lindor is a guy that could be even higher on this list when we're talking about next year. We know he has had a fabulous season for the New York Mets. His RBI totals have been terrific. His defense has been sparkling. He has a lot of that it factor as far as getting the guys going, as far as playing with charisma that you didn't see a year ago. He's definitely a lot more comfortable being a New York athlete. He's number 12 on this list, and I think I may rub some people the wrong way with the guy who is right above him, but you make the New York top 15, you shouldn't be complaining. Number 12, it's Francisco Lindor. Number 11. So at number 11, and he would have been higher on this list, quite frankly, if injuries weren't a part of the tale and the story, that's Yankee slugger John Carlos Stanton. And before you roast me, Met fans, for putting Stanton ahead of Lindor, look at the way the Yankees have played without John Carlos Stanton. You want to tell me he's not valuable? Think again. You know what else Stanton did that Lindor didn't do a year ago? Stanton carried the Yankees to the playoffs. Did he not? We were at Fenway Park. We saw the display he put on against the Boston Red Sox. We all saw the big home runs that he hit throughout July, August, and September of last year. I am rewarding John Carlos Stanton and that August and September and the All-Star Game MVP, which some of you aren't going to care about, but I care about it. I think it's pretty damn cool if you ask me. But look at the Yankees without this guy. He belongs on this list. And if he played, he might be higher on this list. And number 11, it's John Carlos Stanton. Number 10. So at number 10, it may be unpopular putting this guy on the list, even ahead of the other two baseball players I mentioned, because of the egg that he laid against the Boston Red Sox in the wild card game and the fact that there have been times where Garrett Cole has frustrated. But the numbers speak for themselves. You still look at Garrett Cole as one of the premier starting pitchers in the American League. He is still a workhorse for the New York Yankees. The strikeout numbers are going to be exemplary. He was an all-star, currently sitting with a 3-3-0 ERA. And I was very tempted to not call off the list altogether and put my dude Nesta Cortez there. But I am going to honor the fact that Garrett Cole takes the ball, goes deep into games almost every time he toes the rubber. But those big moments, those big starts, is why he has not found himself 
higher up on this list to where he was a year ago. So he has come back. He has come down. He deserves to come down. Still good enough to be in the top 15 of New York athletes. So at number 10, number 45, Derek Hall. Number nine. All right, so we're going back-to-back with New York Rangers. You remember a year ago, the Ranger fan was all out of sorts, all out of sorts, that they couldn't find any of their dudes on this list. Well, at number nine, it's Mika Zibanejad. And think about how many big goals Mika Zibanejad had for the New York Rangers. Snipe it on the power play, snipe it in the Pittsburgh series, coming through and coming through in big ways against the Carolina Hurricanes. This is a guy who is a main part of their power play. He is an unbelievable goal scorer. And I told you, Ranger fans, you're going to like this list a lot more than last year's list. Because, you know, when your team goes to the conference finals and you have these sort of core and nucleus that they are bringing to the table, we're going to show love to that Ranger core. In fact, number nine, number eight, and spoiler alert for Sunday. Number seven, all going to be New York Rangers. So at number nine, it's Mika Zibanejad. Number eight. At number eight on this list, it's Adam Fox, who is one of the premier defensive players in all the National Hockey League. Anchor, a guy who can make things happen offensively for the New York Rangers at that defensive position. The guy in the middle of everything for the Rangers across the board. Look at the honors. Look at the accolades over his first couple of years within the league. I remember how many Ranger fans were livid at me that he wasn't on this list a year ago. And I said, folks, in due time, he will get the love and the respect that he deserves. All I know, Ranger fans, is that you got a good presence on this list. I didn't even throw the 50-goal score from a year ago. I mean, I couldn't give you five New York Rangers on this list, but we got a lot more of a presence than we did a year ago. So our last name for number eight, Adam Fox. So we gave you 15 through eight, one through seven on Sunday. Complaints, comments, agreement, disagreement. Floor is yours on this. 917-382-1151. So I have a lot of fun with that. All right. Coming up next, my main man who was with us every football Friday last year, Jason Katz from the Pro Football Network. Getting the fantasy drafts ready. Who we like, who we don't like. New York players that might have a fantasy impact. Who's the jet running back we should take? Like, I, I had a lot of questions for Jason, and I need a little fantasy help getting ready for my stuff. You guys and gals probably need some fantasy help and some fantasy advice and expertise of your own. So, Mr. Katz, our fantasy guru, joins us next. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions 
for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. So believe it or not, the football season is, is here. We got fantasy drafts coming up this week. Uh, I, I can't wait to have fantasy teams all lined up to see what I'm going to screw up. Thankfully, this gentleman is with us every step along the way. He was with us throughout the football season last year on Football Fridays. He will do the same again for us this year from the Pro Football Network, my main man, our fantasy guru, Jason Katz. Buddy, it's that time again. Welcome back to New York, New York. How you doing? Always happy to be here. It is truly, truly amazing every year when we get into mid to late August and we're like, wow, here comes football. It, it is crazy. Um, it doesn't feel like football season yet. The preseason is a total waste of my time. I put absolutely no stock in it. All you need to know about preseason football, Jason, and fantasy football last year. Do you remember what the narratives were surrounding Jamar Chase? Oh, he can't, he, he can't catch the ball. He's got the dropsies. He's got this. He's got that. I think that guy Chase turned out pretty good. Just saying. He fell into the seventh round of fantasy drafts. And you know where he's going now? The first round. That's fantasy football, Susan. And that's why you don't put a whole lot of stock in preseason and preseason narratives and what you're reading and what you're hearing. You got to trust the gut. You got to trust the instincts and take it from there. All right, Jason. We'll get to the local guys in a little bit. Number one pick, if you're in a redraft league, is it obvious? Is it clear cut, Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, you can definitely make an argument for Christian McCaffrey because the reality is, if, if you told me right now, Christian McCaffrey is going to play 14 games guaranteed this year, he goes first overall. No questions asked. He's been the best fantasy scorer, non-quarterback, for the past four seasons when on the field. But the injury concerns are whatnot, and I don't like to be somebody who predicts injury. But Jonathan Taylor just finished as the overall RB1. He's as safe as it gets, and he still has that high ceiling. So if I was fortunate enough to end up picking at one, yeah, I'm still taking JT. Okay. Who is the guy that's in first rounds everywhere that you would stay clear of and stay clear of every which way? You know there's one or two every year that end up being first-round picks, and they turn out to be monumental flops. Who do you think is the first-round flop out of this year's crop? All right. so. I don't want to go so far as to say this guy is going to be a flop because volume remains king in fantasy football. But I don't really want any part of Najee Harris. Wow, just, and we were all in on Najee Harris last year. Volume, receptions, rushes, carries, the whole deal. You're out on Najee Harris this season. Well, I'm glad you brought up everything that you just said about what Najee Harris did. So last year, Najee Harris, he led the NFL in touches. 307 carries, 94 targets, 74 catches. With all that volume, he averaged 17.7 PPR fantasy points per game. He finished as the RB6 uh, on average. How is he going to be better than that this year? Ben Roethlisberger is gone. I know that Ben Roethlisberger was not Ben Roethlisberger for the past couple of years. This is still a below-average offensive line. Now they have Mitch Trubisky or a rookie at quarterback. How How is Najee Harris going to somehow top what he did last year? And he's being drafted as a top six, top seven running back when I think that's his ceiling. Typically, we want to draft players that are closer to their floor 
when when we can or at par value, we're drafting Najee essentially at to the best case scenario is he returns value of where you drafted him. But I don't see any way he can ascend beyond that. He scored 10 touchdowns last year. I don't know if he can get there this year. I know there'll be a lot of volume. I know he's getting the goal line carries. I know there's nobody else there to challenge him. But I just, I don't think that that 20 fantasy point per game ceiling is there. And when I'm picking in the first round, I need 20 fantasy points per game ceiling with whoever I take. Okay. Derrick Henry is a guy who has that ceiling. Derrick Henry is also a guy who's had a ton of carries over the last couple of years. And he had to deal with an injury last season. Where do you stand on the battering ram of the Tennessee Titans? You bullish or you staying clear or somewhere oh. in the middle? Oh, this is so, it's, it's so tough because every year, for somehow, some way, I find a reason to fade Derrick Henry. And for three straight seasons, it's been a bad idea. I know he got hurt last year, but it would have been a bad idea had he not gotten hurt. Despite the fact that he missed half the season in 2021, he still leads the NFL in total carries since 2019. I mean, this, this guy has amassed a, a truly insane amount of touches. Uh, in the past uh, three seasons, he has carried the ball, just carries 900 times. And remember, last season, eight games, he had 219 carries in eight games. I just don't know how at age 28, with all that punishment, now with a, a metal plate in his foot, he's, he's going he's gonna to maintain that level of, of production. In 2019 and 2020, he averaged 5.1 and 5.4 yards per carry. Last year, that dropped to 4.3, which is basically his career low since becoming the, the main guy over the second half of the 2018 season. I, I, I still like Derrick Henry because he's just, he's so good. I mean, he, he was the overall RB1 last year until he got hurt. He displayed that ceiling because he actually saw an increase in receiving work. He saw a career high in target share. But I just, I always find a reason to just take somebody else. And I just feel like there's always someone who likes Derrick Henry more than me. Okay, buddy. Now, this one's near and dear to my heart, but I think it's one of the most compelling pre-draft questions a lot of folks are going to have. Tyreek Hill with the Kansas City Chiefs was a megastar. He was worthy many years of being a first-round pick. He's going to get deep balls. He's going to get short passes and take them for touchdowns, and he's going to be worth every penny. Well, now you take Tyreek Hill away from Patrick Mahomes, and my guy Tua gets an opportunity to play with him. Now, Tyreek Hill has been waxing poetic about Tua. I don't think he's going to like Tua's deep ball as much as he liked Patrick Mahomes' deep ball. But the Dolphins traded a lot to go and get him. He's actively going to be involved in the offense. It's not like he's going to disappear and vanish. I still think he's going to be really good. I don't know if he's going to be Kansas City good. What's your take? What's your stance on Tyreek Hill year one in South Florida? Obviously, his ceiling is lower. Playing with to attack of Iloa instead of Patrick Mahomes means that Tyreek doesn't have that same type of uh, 20, 22 fantasy points per game upside that he typically does. But the thing is, the Tyreek we've seen over the past couple seasons, specifically last year, he's been a different Tyreek. Uh, over his career, if you look back to his, uh, his second season, his first real year as a starter, 15.8 yards per reception, that went up to 17 in 2018 when people were like, oh, this guy's legit. But Dropped out of 14.8 in 2019, 14.7 in 2020. And last year, he averaged just 11.2 yards per reception. But he still managed to average 17.4 fantasy points per game. He saw 159 targets, had 111 receptions. The problem in Miami is, well, we've got Jalen Waddell, who kind of did the same thing last year. He was that guy. So there are two schools of thought here. 
either Tyreek and Waddle both kind of bring each other down and they're both great for the Dolphins and great for Tua, but not so great for fantasy. Or Tyreek comes in and they gave him all this money and he's just the guy and Waddle kind of takes a little bit of a backseat for a couple of years until Tyreek's 30 and then Waddle can take back over again. I lean more toward the side that Mike McDaniel is going to manufacture touches for Tyreek Hill. I don't want to say similar to how he did for Debo Samuel because they are not the same player. Tyreek cannot, he absolutely cannot handle eight to 10 carries a game, no way. But he can go in motion behind the line. He can take two or three jet sweeps a game. He can take bubble screens. He can work underneath, even if he's not necessarily going to be that downfield threat. It's more of the, there's just a fear that he can go downfield, should open up the underneath. And I think Tyree can be more of a receptions guy, kind of like the guy we saw last year. I don't think you're getting that top three, top five upside, but a mid to low wide receiver one, I think he's still there. Jason, let's get to some of the local guys. And last year, I was out on Saquon Barkley every which way. And I was right about that. He was an absolute stiff. Devontae Booker looked like more of the explosive running back. And I wondered if Saquon Barkley was going to be a New York Giant going into 2022. Well, he is a New York Giant. There's a new coaching staff. They added a top flight offensive tackle in the draft. Make or break time for him. Now or never time for him. First round pick, forget about that. Can Saquon Barkley be legitimate fantasy relevant this season? So I have had a very, very interesting relationship with Saquon Barkley this summer in terms of ranking him. He opened up, I ranked him at RB23. Wow. And that is like basically saying, Barry, wow. I don't want him. Out. But, you know, you, you react to new information. And plus, what do you rank guys in May and June? It means nothing. I mean, I, I, I had no concept of where I was taking guys, of how I really felt about them. But as you get into July, August, it starts to really come into focus. Now I have a very good feeling about every player and where I want to take them. Saquon Barkley is all the way up now to my RB11. and. There are people who have him even higher than that. He is creeping toward that first round. I know on uh, on certain best ball uh, platforms, he has actually jumped ahead of someone like DeAndre Swift in ADP. He's getting up there. People are buying back in. Uh, Saquon Barkley, the question for me, it is not an injury risk. I don't think he's injury prone. I mean, he tore an ACL. He had a fluke ankle injury stepping on a Cowboys player's foot after the play is over. I don't, I don't count that. My concern with Barkley was, have the injuries sapped his explosiveness? Because without the explosiveness, he's someone that, you know, he, he's, he does a little too much of that, trying to hit the big play, trying to hit the home run basket outside, not just taking the four or five yards. He needs that explosion to be able to produce in fantasy. And you know what? I saw him run one out route in that first preseason game. I know you say preseason doesn't matter, but in terms of physically and what he's capable of doing, the cut he made, this is a man that now believes in his knee like he didn't last year. And I'm kind of buying back in that Saquon Barkley, he still possesses that same overall RB1 upside that he's had since he was drafted in 2018. Where's the best place to draft Saquon Barkley? 12-team standard league. What are you thinking? Mid-third round? No, he's going way before that. He's, he's Really? Going, okay. okay. He's going top half of the second round at the latest. I think that if you do enough drafts, you will see him go at the back end of the first round for some people who are really in on him. But I think if you pick if you pick anywhere outside of that 8 to 12 range, uh, you're not getting him. Can you pick one through seven? In the second round, he's not going to be there. Are there any Giants you have identified outside of Barkley that intrigue you from a fantasy perspective? I can tell you who doesn't intrigue me, and that's Kenny Galladay. He looks done. I mean, Gettleman Gettleman is the gift that keeps on giving for somebody like me. He just is instant material. It was an absolute joke watching him run the team for five seasons. 
He made a lot of bad moves and signed a lot of bad contracts. Jason, that Galladay one, it, it's top three, top five, dude. He looks finished. Kenny Galladay looks so bad that he has me legitimately questioning if he was ever good to begin with or just a product of apparently the wide receiver kingmaker, Matthew Stafford. That's not what you want to hear. And it's certainly not what you want to hear if you're a Giant fan thinking that he's going to give you a thousand yard season. Forget about that. All right, let's get to the Jets. They got an interesting dynamic at running back. Michael Carter, who I really liked last year, was fantasy relevant last year. Well, he's got competition. In comes Brees Hall. How is the how is this shaking out, Jason? Is this going to kill fantasy owners every which way where they have no idea what goes on? Who do you see establishing themselves as the fantasy guy out of the jet backfield? So here's the thing with Brees Hall. I love him as a talent. I believe that he he's probably the best running back to come out in the past two years. It's close between him and Javante Williams in terms of just talent. And if Brees Hall like landed on uh, a top 10 offense or something like that, if he was on the Chiefs, for example, I mean, he'd be a surefire first-round pick. He would go right around where Najee Harris went last year. But he's on the Jets. They lost Mekhi Becton. I'm very concerned that Zach Wilson might be this that 20, uh, 21 classes version of Josh Rosen. I'm, I'm very worried about that. And if, if the Jets aren't good enough, then Brees Hall needs to get the Najee Harris-level volume this year. And I know the first preseason game means nothing, but Michael Carter started that game. And they were kind of split in work. And I don't think it's going to hold up that way. Brees Hall's just too good. Michael Carter's a day-three pick, and we know that they get cast aside like haphazardly. Teams just aren't committed to these fourth, fifth, sixth-round guys. But Michael Carter, I think, will be a thorn in Brees Hall's side for most of the season. Now, we could see a situation like uh, like Jonathan Taylor's rookie year where by the end of the season, like, that was it. It was his backfield. He's taking over. We could see that down the stretch with Brees Hall, but you got to get there first. And I worry that Brees Hall is being drafted as like this mid-RB2, this mid RB2, and he may only give you low RB2 or high RB3 numbers early in the season for a good chunk of it while Carter's taking a little bit of the passing down work and even mixing in for like six to eight carries. Uh, I love the talent of Brees Hall, but I, I, I struggle to draft him where he's going in like the late third, early fourth round. Receiver position for the Jets. Higher on Elijah Moore in his second year, Garrett Wilson in his first year. I don't see Garrett Wilson as making much of an immediate impact. Now, in terms of talent, he's great. I love Garrett Wilson. I think that Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore are going to form quite the wide receiver duo for the next six to eight years if they can stay together. Uh, But we've seen this before. We saw this last year with Elijah Moore himself. I mean, his his uh, snap share start the season. Yeah, I know he had a had a big snap share week one, but he only saw four targets. And then over the next four to five weeks, the guy was playing at most uh, an average of around fifty percent of the snaps. It wasn't until uh, week eleven where he finally became a starter. And it was against your, your Dolphins when he when he lit up Byron Jones for one forty one yards. By the way, when did that happen? When Joe Flacco was the quarterback. Something something to think about. Something to think about. Elijah Moore's best games were not with Zach Wilson. They were with Joe Flacco. Right. So we have, we have Elijah Moore, who I do think is the one. I think de- he's definitely the one this year. I think Garrett Wilson opens as the four. Uh, I think he earns his way up to the three and probably the two w- within within a month. I mean, it, it's not going to be long before Garrett Wilson becomes a starter. He's, he's just too good. I, I can't see Corey Davis and Braxton Berrios staving him off for that long. But that that's the kind of rookie path we've seen. We've seen it with so many guys. Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, the aforementioned Elijah Moore, um, and I think we'll see it again with some other guys this year. They just, they, or Amon Ross St. Brown is another one last year. These guys come on stronger over the second half of the season. 
So Garrett Wilson strikes me as a guy who will be drafted in a lot of fantasy leagues, dropped early in the season, and then at some point, much like Elijah Moore uh, last year, he'll become a starter and he'll become a guy that you you can start in fantasy as a wide receiver three. But ultimately, this comes down to Zach Wilson, and he needs to take a step forward to make everything work on this offense. All right, buddy. Biggest piece of advice you could give anybody getting ready for their fantasy drafts, assuming they are in a snake, standard 12 to 14 league what team, whatever the case may be, your biggest piece of advice. Go into your draft with a an, with an clear idea of what you want to do, but you should never have a plan where you're saying to yourself, I'm doing this no matter what. You hear about all these strategies, robust RB, zero RB, wide receiver heavy, all their names, whatever they are. They're all just a way to describe the way you draft. And it's more something that you look at after the fact and go, oh, that's the strategy I use. Going into your draft, you need to be adaptable because you have no idea how that room is going to play out. You can go in there. You're, you're picking at like, uh, like seventh overall. Like, all right, I'm going to grab this running back. I'm, ta- I'm taking, uh, I'm taking uh, you know, Dalvin Cook. That's who I want there. And then all of a sudden, Justin Jefferson finds his way to your pick. And you're like, well, I, I guess I'm switching it up now. Or, or you're planning on going running back, running back, and running backs fly off the board in your draft. Well, you got to pivot now because you can't just take a worse running back to force a strategy. You need to gain an edge. You need to be looking at how can I gain an advantage over everybody else in the room. So my best piece of advice is to just have a rough plan, but always be willing to adapt. Final one, buddy. Sleeper. You've been good with these. Who is the guy that Jason Katz wants? Like, don't give me an obvious guy. Who is the guy you want on every single one of your teams this year? All right. There are a couple guys I want every single one of my teams, but how late are we talking for, for what, what you're looking for? Uh, in uh, terms of this you question? Give, me, g- give me two. Give me one within the top six rounds, and then give me one in the top, I don't know, 14 or 15 rounds. All right. Uh, I'm not going to go super high because I think that second, third round guys, they, they don't count. So I'm going, uh, this is around the fifth, sixth round. First guy, A.J. Dillon. I want him everywhere. Here's why. Uh, oh, the second half of last season. A.J. Dillon flipped the script on Aaron Jones. Maybe it was a bit of an injury related to it. I don't think so. I think that there was a deliberate move to make A.J. Dillon the primary runner. And I think he's going to dominate, not just with dominate goal line touches this season for a Green Bay offense that now is not going to have their patented, oh, we're at the two-yard line, everyone else is running. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to throw it to Devontae Adams. No more of that. He's gone. They're going to run more at the goal line, and you're going to run with A.J. Dillon I, he's should be a standalone RB2. And of course, if something were to happen to Aaron Jones, you're looking at a top five running back. So that's the first guy, AJ Dillon. Now I got to find someone later in drafts. Uh, I, I don't want to say this is someone that I, I must draft. I want on all my teams, but this is more of a sleeper that I'm giving you who I'm targeting late everywhere. And that is uh, a, a New York guy, but, but not a New York local team. We're going up to Buffalo. Isaiah McKenzie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Isaiah McKenzie is, he, he was someone I, I, I picked him up last year. I think it was, it was week 16. And I was like, oh, I should start him. I really like the matchup. Uh, I think uh, Manny Sanders and Gabriel Davis were out or something like that. And I didn't start him. And then you, that was the week he put up 29 fantasy points. This is somebody who has, has two games in his career where he has put up 29 and 30 fantasy points. I mean, you don't do that unless you have some sort of ability. And I know banking on a 27-year-old former special teamer, fifth-round pick in 2017, guy never had more than uh, 30 catches in a season. You know, banking on this guy to suddenly be some breakout star, not necessarily the best bet. But 
I mean, we're talking about a Josh Allen offense and a, and a starting slot role, which he is, which he seems to have the leg up on over Jameson Crowder that targeted Cole Beasley for the past three seasons over 100 times. If you can give me 100 targets in the, the 11th, 12th, 13th round, I don't care who it is. Sign me up for 100, 100 targets that late. And especially when they're Josh Allen targets. That's one of my favorite late sleepers uh, this year. Love the idea of getting in on the Buffalo Bills offense. There's no doubt about that. Jason, good work, buddy. Uh, rest up because week one is going to be here before you know it. So make sure you are ready to go. This was a good little refresher, good little tune-up. And I think you'll be ready to hit the ground running week one. Fair to say? I'm, I'm fired up. I am all in on football. I'm, I'm ready to draft. I hate that I don't have any drafts for another nine days. It feels so Well, you so got mine long. on Monday. Don't forget about that. You I You got to take care that. of me as I do a live show from the Subway Series. I owe you. You get a... You get 10% of my winnings if we do well this year. <laughs> well, I might hold you to that. That's Jason Katz. Check him out. Pro Football Network. Fantasy guru. Buddy, we'll chat week one. Thanks, pal. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. I am so ready for the start of the fantasy season. All right, Jeff Money. It is a Friday show, a Friday card. Four is yours, buddy. By the way, I killed it today on Better's Eye. Only game I got wrong, the dopey Yankees. Overhitting that game. Had the Braves today, had the Pirates today. So it was a nice day on my better side appearance. Yankees, not so much. All right, Money, let's go. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. as we for tomorrow, Friday the 19th. See if I keep the ball rolling. I'm only going with one game on Friday. I'm going to take the Cleveland Guardians, minus the 125 over the Chicago White Sox. Nice matchup there, divisional matchup. Again, we're going to go with the Cleveland Guardians, minus the 25. And everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ. I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, Money, that's a fascinating series in the American League Central. Guardians are in first place. The White Sox are grinned down their neck. White Sox got smoked today by the Astros. Gave up three touchdowns to the Astros. I'd go the other way here. I'm getting Lance Lynn at plus money. I'm going to go with the more desperate Chicago White Sox. So we're heads up on that game. Um, You know, I got to say this because our guy saluted me a few minutes ago for the 95 at Silver Lake. Golf's a cool game. You know, you would think you have that round. You'd be back. You'd be in the low 90s. No, I go well north of 100 the last few times I played. Golf sucks. It's the best. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. So I, I am playing on Saturday. I need a big round on Saturday. I need a big, big round on Saturday. So hopefully uh, the drives are straight. The irons are where they need to be. Today, you know, it's figuring out golf on a day in and day out basis for me is just, it's complicated. Now, Fandle, same game parlay. Check that out. Yankees, Blue Jays, Jamison Tyon on the mound, going up against Kevin Gaussman. We'll have some interesting angles for that. We'll try to cash in. We'll try to make you some money. We're back Sunday. We got the second part of our New York Top 15. We'll get you ready for the Subway Series. And we'll see how these baseball teams fare this weekend. Mets, big series against the Phillies and the Yankees. My goodness. When is this awful fun? When is this nightmare going to be over? Good work, Stefan. Enjoy your weekend, everybody.
There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.